Recovery Talks, a podcast from Changing Lives. Hello everyone and welcome to the Recovery Talks podcast. It's uh, it's me, it's Andy Ryan, Head of Recovery uh, Treatment Services. Um, it's great to see you here and I'm really looking forward to today's podcast because I think if I'm right, um, this might be the first podcast where we've got some of the guests to come back and, and, and almost pick up with and finish on a conversation that was started. Um, I don't know if you remember it from the first series. It was the Men in Recovery talk. So in a minute, we will be speaking to, to Mark and Aaron. So I'd like to welcome um, Mark, and, Mark and Aaron to today's uh, podcast. Um, I'm looking forward. I know I, what's really struck me is, is um, I think when we finished recording the first one, there was definitely, for me, there was definitely the sense of, Oh, we could have gone on. We we could have, we could have kicked on there, really kicked on, um, which is fantastic. And what I really loved about it as well was that reciprocal conversation of I found myself kind of nodding all the way through, which has been so important to me. So it's it's great to have you back. So let's get you introduced back to everyone. Um, Aaron, do you want to say a little bit about who you are? <clears throat> yeah, my name's Aaron. I work for Changing Lives. Um, I'm a team lead for a mental health assertive engagement team. And also I'm in recovery. Um, and yeah, I think Andy, just like what you were saying there, you know, after the last one, we were all definitely like sort of still sitting there thinking, actually, we could have done another hour or another uh, hour and a half, you know, because I really enjoy doing these. So thanks for asking us to come back and uh, hopefully, you know, we can get some good stuff down today. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Aaron. And uh, I, I appreciate you taking the time because I know, you know, um, this this kind of stuff's on top of the day job. It's on top, you know, so I really appreciate it. I know Mark, who was in the original podcast with us, sent his apologies today because of the day job stuff. So um, if you're listening in, Mark, we're, we're missing you. We know you're part of that big conversation. So, but we do have the other Mark. Uh, I, I, should I refer to you as the other Mark? Or I'm not sure what that does. But Mark, do you want to say a bit about who you are? That's always good for the humility, that, the other one. Um <laughs> Yeah, I'm Mark Taylor. I work at uh, North Tyneside Recovery Partnership for the Addictions Pillar Changing Lives. Um, and I'm a recovery facilitator, group facilitator, key worker at Oak Trees and North Shields. And yeah, I love the chance to have these chats. I mean, obviously, me and Aaron are friends anyway, and we'll, we'll grab time to do this quite often. But I think just the idea that sometimes some of the stuff that we've got ideas about might be helpful to other other folk is uh, really appealing. So yeah, um, thank you for the opportunity to do this again. I really enjoyed the last one as well. Mm. And and likewise to you, Mark, thanks for joining us. Because again, you know, at, at risk of echoing myself, I, I, this is like on top of the day job stuff, but also what I took from the first podcast and I, I, I wouldn't have expected anything different having like previously or, or however briefly kind of met, met you all before was um, you do speak from the heart both of you do and I thought that podcast was always going to go that way because it couldn't have been anything else so I really appreciate that because it, it is you know to, to come onto a podcast and to have people listening in and be able to share from that place I think it's it's it, it's a it's a it's a challenging sometimes thing to do but also it mirrors what a lot a lot of what you talk about about people being able to speak up and talk about these things because that's what we need to be doing so um and believe it or not any, any anyone listening into this we, we do have a bit of a structure to these podcasts although we I, I struggle at times to stick to it. And and Mark and Aaron, b- before us recording this, we, we were kind of pulling around a few ideas and we've we've come up with some stuff that we, you know, we we do want to follow up on. Um and we do want to talk about today. But 
it's really against some of it is against the backdrop of um recently i've been having conversations and and this has probably been known for years anyway but we talk about nationally the escalating problems that we have around like dependency and addiction and the impact that's having on communities and and you don't really have to go far with any any kind of research or data before someone should or will be pointing out that particularly in the northeast as well there there are some really kind of um, big issues against national averages um and it's challenging that and the services do amazing jobs and people out there are doing everything they can um but it has i think I, I, I was at an event listening to Sir Michael Marmot and he was talking about health inequalities and, and what resources are there and, and what life chances people have got and all, all of that stuff that comes into this really complex equation. Um, so that got me thinking about kind of today's conversation. And as we were talking early on, we, we quickly rolled into actually, you know, um, and listening to you both talk both on the podcast and outside of that. If this isn't about substances, you know, if substances are a conclusive thing that happens is like I, I will eventually form a dependency on something because I'm trying I'm seeking something from that um, and if it wasn't even a case of like due to life chances it wasn't if I ended up having some form of problem or dependency or or I've heard people call it like some dysfunction in my life or whatever term people want to use um, it was when um, I know that you both have talked about the kind of facades and the the sense of self in all of this as well um, and this kind of this thing about who I am, what the world expects from me, who I need to be. Um, and I, I, I just find that really interesting. And it's really difficult, though. So as I'm saying this to you now, um, I'm thinking, what a question this is. You know, this is a really deep question. Um, but from your perspective, like both of your perspectives, either personally or, as you both mentioned at the beginning, working in the sector, um, what what do you think is, is, is kind of occurring in all of this? What do you think is bringing about um, this 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 addiction. What what happens for people, or, or what what's the sense of that? Do you do you kind of have any ideas on that at all um, around this facade, this who I am, who I want to be, who I present to the world, or do you have anything on that? I think there's lots of reasons why men in particular get confused about their identity. I think it's the way society's changed now. You know, there's less community around. You know, we work in the northeast of England where there used to be lots of heavy industry and men spending a lot of time with each other in social clubs outside of work and all that sort of stuff. And now people are much more like, you know, atomized. And some quite a lot of, uh, I suppose, the, the breakdown of the family. A lot of people in single parent households are without a dad. You know, a lot of the men that we work with haven't had a male role model in their lives. So they've had to make up a version of what a man's supposed to look like from the telly or these days from social media or from celebrity or, you know, when I was young, I'm of a, I'm of an age where, you know, heroes on the telly were cowboys and stuff. You know, maybe I'm not quite that old, but I can still remember that stuff. <laughs> and it's like, you know, we ask the men, what what are your what are your man rules? And they say, you know, all of the classics, like, you know, the strong silent type, don't show your emotions, don't cry, you know, have yeah. a sense of responsibility, be the breadwinner, provide for your family. And the big word that always comes up is integrity. You know, so we'll, like, we'll always explore that with them because, they, you know, I, I tell them in a group I do that integrity and responsibility are man rules, but they're recovery rules as well. Yeah. 
So in, in, in therapy circles, I mean, this is, uh, and again, I, I love these conversations because, you know, sometimes when I've gone away, like when I was training to be a therapist, it's like you learn this, this language as well. And it's really interesting and really fascinating. But I love coming back to conversations where it's like, like you with what you're describing there, Mark, was just was like interjects. It was like these internalized messages that we're given and growing up about what, what we need to be, how we need to be and what it is to, to look successful or to be strong or to whatever the message is about all of that. And I, I suppose I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm wondering, well, what happens when that goes wrong? What happens when you don't live up to that? The feelings of failure is a big one, isn't it? You know, and, and those, you know, makes you feel unsuccessful, you know, um, and then then you're left looking for something, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and when you're looking for something like that, there's not many things that at the time, in the beginning, probably alleviates that pain. You know, um, it's either one of the addictive behaviours, so food, you know, sex, drugs, drink, you know, what other substances, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I think that's something that, you know, especially like when you're brought up in a sort of household where, you know, Mark mentioned it before about not, you know, sort of not crying and all that kind of stuff. In my family, I was known as the crier, you know, and like I would cry and it would be like, oh, he's crying again, shut up, you know, get up to your room, whatever, you know, and it wasn't acceptable for males to cry in my household, you know, um, and that sort of built, a, I suppose, a barrier to the fact that, you know, I would, I never used to like sort of do that when I got to an age where I was starting to come into teen years or becoming a, a young adult, you know, that that was something I would never do in public because I was always told that that, you know, was weak or that, you know, which is the total opposite. I think now, you know, I totally believe now that it's a strength being able to show your emotions. And that's another one in my household. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't acceptable to show emotion, you know. If you were happy or whatever, then that, that was okay. But there was no sadness. There was no sort of, um, oh, anger was a good one as well, you know. Um, in my household, that was a one you were allowed to show, you know, outside to outwards, not to at the family, but to other people and in other situations, you know. And when you lose that, it sort of takes away everything that, you know, your sort of internal. Um, suppose internal map of who you think you are or who you think you're meant to be yeah i think you're bang on there aaron and you you you, you said a couple of things that really like chimed in with me there like the crying i was a crying kid yeah i hated it especially when i got into my early teens because people knew if they hit us i would cry and it wasn't because i was upset it was just like a reaction yeah and it was basically i'm now like through the work we do and we talk about you know anxiety stuff and being on that access of fight or flight or freeze or flop yeah and i was like always on that and i didn't know what that was i was just a kid but it was like trying to hide that trying to push it in and i remember when i was 15 and my grandfather died the crying stopped and i yeah. don't think i cried for about 15 or 20 years after that it was unreal but i think in answer to what the question that you raised what happens when you, you feel like you fail, like Aaron's saying, is I think you you get like a gap between the, the real you yeah. and the persona. And we talked about this in the group the other day. What fills that gap, that space is created? And I think it's shame. I think shame floods in and fills it. So you, you're stuck in that cycle of thinking about what you're not living up to, why you're not good, why you're less than. And I think it's shame 
mixed with distress. So I think if you're constantly in a in a in a like a the vibration and energy of distress mixed with shame, and then the addiction goes in there as well. So you're mixing the substances in there. You get that gap between who you who you are and the persona you're trying to make, and that's the toxicity of it. And it's quite easy to see there, isn't it? You know, when people talk about like self-medicating, it's yeah. quite easy to see that if, if drink or drugs helps you to change your state or mood or even dissociate or desensitize, really what it is, is it's not because I've got this romantic relationship with drugs or alcohol. It's because I'm just trying to survive here because I can't stay in that constant state of shame yeah. or that constant state of anxiety or that that constant state, like you were saying there about fight, flight and freeze, it's like a hypervigilance in there, isn't there, about living life? And then, yeah. as, as you described there, and honestly, Mark, it's, it's brilliant hearing you say this because I've heard so many people over the years say it's like, when I go out into the world, it's like going out on stage. You know, it's like I have to be this, this like, I'm, know your lines, get it right and do this. Because, and I think as you both have described there, and this always fascinated me when I got to learn more about my own process in, in, in my own recovery, but getting to meet so many people on the journey as well was those early formative years where I would meet people coming into treatment setups or they'd talk about self-esteem or they'd talk about, I don't know who I am. Yeah. I don't know who I am. And it was this, because in the early years, there was this, and I think the example you've used there is just, it's, it's really powerful, but does hit the nail on the head. Is like, okay, to be, to, be a, to be a strong, you need to be like daddy's little soldier or you need to be a man, you don't cry. Mm -hmm. Then I cry. So the message internalized there is I'm not good enough. Yeah. That chips away any formulative self-esteem. So I haven't yeah. got that solid base. I just haven't got it because the solid base should have been you're OK being who you are. Yeah. But it's not. It's garnered by all these things that say if you're this and if you're that, you're lovable. If you're this and you're that, eh, not so much. Or this. And, and like you both have mentioned there, and I think. It's really important this because it, it, again in this podcast we're not trying to shame and blame people, but yeah. those messages that come in is like what messages are given to say, well that's just not good enough for me. Therefore, you're not good enough for me. And if we internalize that, I, I just think ask anyone to go and meet this world growing up with a sense of I'm not good enough. Watch what happens. Exactly. Mark mentioned telly and social media, and you know you're say, Andy, you're saying that we're you know we're not trying to blame anyone, and it's not about blaming anyone. <clears throat> but we'll say that on telly. But we'll but but <laughs> we'll say it on telly. We'll say it on social media. You know, we we'll say it like you know when I was a kid, there wasn't social media, so it was newspapers and stuff like that. You know, or like sort of whatever the news was at that time, um, and that's sort of in, sort of I embedded into sort of the person that we are. Um, I and then so obviously. Once that's taken away, you're right. You know, it does leave that sort of self-worth and self-esteem. Mm. Um, but I think that's a really good place to be once you get to that point, because then you get the chance to move forward and say, right, actually, who am I? You know, which if you ask some people that, you know, they haven't got a clue. And I didn't know that either, you know, when I first came into recovery. And do you think that is recovery? Do you think that's this almost like this... Um... You know, years ago in the in the Alcoholics Anonymous textbook where they talked about spiritual awakenings and spiritual yeah. experience. Do you think mm -hmm. that's what an element of that is? Is that moment of like, right, who am I? Yeah. What what am I? What can I be? What can I do? What can things can be different? 
you know, yeah. almost almost like a sense of freedom as opposed yeah. to, I think what you really described well there, Mark, was that 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 bind of this is me behind the scenes, this is the person I have to portray to be. Yeah. There's this gap that's full of, and and I think shame's a great um, a word to use. That that shame that's in the middle there, and even to the point where, and I've caught myself doing this. I don't know if you two have, but the persona, even when I've got a medical professional in front of me telling me, "This is the end, mate. You've got to stop doing this. It's not good for you." The persona part of me would even rationalise, "Yeah, but you know, you say that, but I've got a different take on it because I need to be this in the world, and you're <laughs> giving me information that won't allow me to be this in the world." So we're just going to, we're not meeting here. Um. Well, that persona as well, though, that persona is really just a collection of your defence mechanisms. Yeah. So it's what you put out to show that you're not to be attacked. Because if you're in a state of distress all the time and you haven't put this out there, you know, the crying thing for me was like a huge chink in the armour of being yeah. able to be asleep. Because this was like when I was doing this, it was in the 70s, like the late 70s, early 80s. And, you know, the the way people talked about boys that cried was like, you know, it was all the homophobic stuff and all that and the names you got called and all that. And it shattered who you thought they were. And you start to believe what people tell you. You're still at the age where you believe what people tell you as well. But I think that whole thing about, um, you know, being judged to be what you're not, you, you end up totally lost. And it's that perfection thing. We did... Um, we do a workshop where we look at um, shame as regards perfectionism and procrastination, self-pity and ego. And we're saying the perfectionist sort of trait is, well, if I'm no good, let's find something I can do and focus all my energy on that. You know, yeah. and to me, in my like, late teens and early 20s, was I'll work in pubs. And I'll be a good barman and I'll be a good pub manager. And then if I can do that, nobody can see that I'm still that little laddie that cry all the time, you know, and all that, and the one who hasn't got a dad, and all of the things that I would have this huge list of reasons why I was less than, why I wasn't good enough, you know, and that's like, you know, that that feeds all of that sort of stuff, you know, yeah. Somebody tells you something, and it's like a wound. If somebody hits something that's on your list, of why you're not good enough, and I suppose that is humiliation, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And that really fits with the, the the external locus of control, really. It's like a lot of people talk about how we regulate our emotional state and how we can do that internally with the, the, the secure base that we have, the understanding about ourselves that we have. And we have this external, the external locus of control really is where it tips too far because we all have an external locus of control because we're influenced by things around us. But yeah. when it tips too far, so it's a case of I'm only ever OK if all of that's OK. I'm only ever okay if I can get that substance. I'm only ever okay because it's something outside of me that needs to come in to help me regulate this emotional state. So I almost become this unregulated emotional kind of bag of stuff that I'm reaching out constantly to try and balance off, get right, manage the environment, do this, do that, you know, just to make sure that I can be okay in the midst of all that. And I think when it gets to that state, but, but and what I would say is as well, and particularly for anyone listening, is I suppose we've taken this to this real kind of acute end of, because this is how addiction can happen. You know, this is how dependency can form. This is when a relationship with substances can become a really strong relationship. But actually what we're talking about, in essence, is I would hope everyone listening to this would nod along and go, yeah, I do that. I do yeah. that at work. I do that with my family. I do that with my neighbours. I do, you know, I have a bit of a facade. You know, I've never, 
I, when I was taking the bin out last night, and my neighbour said, how are you doing? I went, oh, everything's great. And then walked back in and went, oh, God, I can't take this anymore. I've had a really difficult day. So the facade thing is a very human thing, isn't it? But, mm -hmm. but what I'm sensing from you both here is it almost becomes a default position as opposed to a a moment-to-moment -moment contact of I can put a mask on, I can put a face on, but it takes over. Yeah, and it's that thing that you hear people say a lot of whenever somebody asks you how you are, you lie. Yeah. Yeah, because you automatically assume nobody wants to hear my misery. There's enough misery in the world, so I'll just say I'm fine. And would you say that even, a, a, you know, the... I am fine stuff. Would you say that even a, a, like occurs to even I don't want to hear it, so I'm not going to talk about it. So I don't think you want to hear it, but I don't want to hear it, so I'm not going to talk about it. Do you think it's the whole package? Well, it's just like going through your list again, isn't it? Yeah. Just like going through that list of things that you you judge yourself too harshly on. And I, I do believe that what you're saying about everybody will identify with this. I think everybody will, because I think everybody... I think the difference between people who have a problem with addiction and the general population is as thin as a thin as a sheet of paper sideways, really, because you know there's so many people are you know under the doctor for anxiety and depression in this world. It's almost like it's just accepted. You know, do you take any medication? Well, nothing apart from your cerebellum, obviously. You know, because everybody's medicated against the world that they live in, sort of thing. So I think these themes they cover for everybody, and I, and I do think. The way to get past them to, to actually get rid of that mess of shame, guilt, and addiction and distress in the middle between yourself and your persona is to like you know stick a tap in it, let it run, just talking to other people, which is sharing with other people, which is reality checking with people, saying like, do you ever feel like this? You know, whenever that comes out at work. You know, reality check. There was one example where it was said, have you ever thought of something really, really bad which would allow you to relapse into drugs and alcohol? And the whole room, whole room went quiet for a second and then everybody nodded. And they were saying things like, oh, yeah, I've thought about walking out in front of traffic. I thought about something happening to a relative. I've thought something happening to me kids, you know, which would allow me to medicate my distress again. And they, they, they look really... You know, that you could feel the energy in the room drop. Mm. But then when we realised that everybody had done it, then it lifted up again. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I do think it's sort of, it is almost like what is unspoken is what keeps you sick. And isn't it really interesting as well that, um, that, that uh, the recent mental health campaign is time to talk. We've got to get talking. You know, yeah. like you said about turn the tap on. Yeah. You know, because there's too many, there's too many dams that have been built up. Where people are, 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 are suppressing, retroflecting, not talking, not expressing what's happening for them, which it has these consequences, which I think you've just described fantastically there, Mark, is yeah, that contributes to, you know, if, if I can't talk about it and I need I need to push all this stuff down, I'm soon gonna need some help to push it down. Um and, and when we look at things like uh, just current statistics around mental health and people needing support and just having that kind of talking space to talk about what's actually happening for them not just a prescription, and the prescription might be totally valid, but also to make sense of all of this. You know, it's really important that we, we turn that tap on and get talking about stuff. Yeah. The prescription is like the, like the plaster, though, isn't it? You know, you need the plaster, <clears throat> but then you still have to seek medical advice to get the, get the treatment. You know, and, and sort of my eyes, you know, and for me, 
for mental health addiction and all the sort of issues that I have some experience with personally and professionally. You know, the only way that I ever found a sort of outcome to that is stuff we've talked about is talking. You know, and, but when you're when you're told your whole life, well, you can't talk, you can't do this, you need to hide that. You know, you can't talk about this, you can't talk about that. Then, unfortunately, there has to be something that's quite. A, quite a catastrophic uh, event for that to for that to work or for that mm -hmm. uh, you know for that first step on the ladder to, to move push forward. yeah to push you to that precipice of saying i've got to do this yeah because it's yeah. I, I think and, and for anyone listening i think what's really important there is and i know um i know from from listening to you both as well and your approach towards how you support people that this will absolutely be intrinsic in what you do but there's layers to this isn't there it's yeah. almost like you've got to undo that first bit of well, I can't talk about it. It's not. I, we're not even going to get to what you need to talk about yet. Yeah. We've got to get to the point of like, what what messages are you carrying that stop you from even thinking that you can talk about? And and it might not be for years until yeah. you talk about what really is at, at that, that guttural level of what's what's kind of causing you harm. But we need to kind of turn the tide a bit. And I think. And again, this is a really, I, I feel like one of those, like, um, I want to make a point. And, and if anyone's listening, because I think you two have really described this well in that this is an intergenerational problem and it's an intergenerational solution. We can't commission a service today to fix this problem. And I think earlier listening to you both saying, well, these are the messages I got when I was younger. I've kind of seen a difference in the ne next generation. I'm seeing a difference in, in, in the people I know and the kids I know today. I think we're on a trajectory here, but we've got to keep that going. We've got to keep moving with this, yep. um, which is really important because it does lend itself to, I suppose, the second question we had today was, what do we do then? You know, how do, if anyone's listening to this, particularly if anyone's listening to this and they go, do you know what? I, I think I'm in the thick of that. I think I'm, I'm either in the early stages of challenging what's happening for me or maybe I'm in the thick of this. Or even if someone's listening and they're, they're, they're kind of working in services and they've got their own experiences, but... What what do we do? Is there anything that you are aware of that you think this has always worked well for me? This is the kind of stuff that I like. This is I think uh, Aaron sort of like spoke about it there before as well, and I re it takes me back to when uh, the service first opened in Northumberland. Mm -hmm. We just basically had to interview the people who were accessing the service mm -hmm. and try and tell them that group work was what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And the amount of defence against that was unreal because of what we've talked about. I don't talk about my feelings. I'm not sitting in a room full of people like me. I'm I'm a this sort of person. I don't even like other this sort of person, you know. But then you get, you know, the big hard lads, the the, the you know, the lads that have been working on building sites or have been like in gangs and all that sort of stuff, graduating from oak trees and something saying like, you know, I used to hate the idea of sitting in a group. Now I know it's the only thing that's going to work for me. And people mm. always go back to that. It's other people's honesty about mm. what's really going on that makes mm. the difference. So, you know, without like saying <clears throat> people shouldn't just go to the doctors for a prescription or shouldn't just see a therapist or whatever. But like what Aaron said before, when you get a prescription for antidepressants, you're supposed to get what group work does as part of that prescription is supposed yeah. to have a psychosocial element to your therapy. Mm. So they already know that 
it's just devolved. They've just completely, you know, society misses that point altogether. You send a person comes in with a problem with their life, you offer them a solution, they go away with that by themselves, and nothing gets better apart from they get a little bit better for a while because you've told them a story of how it's going to get better. But when somebody else who's been there tells you, it's like you said, it's not just what we do, it's a systematic thing, isn't it? It's like, yeah. how do we heal? The problem that people have got with being who they are, mm. and I and I think um, and I've always been a massive advocate for this. Like, um, and I suppose we're lucky, you know, all of us on this call really, because we've worked within services we can create like therapeutic groups, and we can mm -hmm. create those therapeutic environments. And that's not always possible for anyone. And and what I would say is, is I mean, I'm a massive advocate for group because I think that a lot of therapeutic healing can be had. Uh, yes, you need one-to-one -one support, but in the groups is really where big steps can be taken because it's yeah. about being seen, validating, sharing that space. But if if you haven't got access to that group, and, and anyone listening to this, and it doesn't have to necessarily just be about addiction, what I've often encouraged people to do is the next time you're out with what you class to be your kind of social network, just pay attention and listen to the messages. And do those messages support a kind of thriving you? You know, um, I always encourage people to do that because, you know, over the years, what I've had is people come back and take time to come back to have conversations with me and say, do you know what? It's quite a negative arena I'm in or it's it's yeah. quite a, um, a stressed arena or it's quite a who's best arena. You know, those kind of like I, and I don't like functioning in there because I always I always leave these interchanges not feeling good enough or or or, or kind of really struggling with my anxiety or and it's like, well, you really pay attention to that 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 network as well because I think, it, and the bigger picture is, and I know at the beginning of this podcast we, you know, I opened up by just mentioning about some of the kind of um, the issues that are out there that we know nationally, um, but but there is a particular focus in, in the northeast um, around um, the the impact of of addiction, and it's it's the life chances thing as well. It's just about you know what 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 life chances have we got uh, in every community across the country, which I don't, if I'm honest, I think there are differences. But I, I think having met so many people tends to be, OK, I can get into recovery and then what? Yeah. You know, what 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 what's out there for me? Because going back to what we talked about earlier, people have been set off on their journey on that first foot of I'm not good enough. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden it's like a, like like I was saying earlier, but like all of us have said, I suppose, in this call today is like you look you look at life through that lens. No, if I'm not good enough, no job I ever go for am I going to get. No relationship I'm, I'm ever in is ever going to sustain. You know, because I'm not good enough. And I become this self-fulfilling yeah. prophecy, really. And it's... You're like, the, it's guy, you're like the guy in Charlie Brown, aren't you? Who's torn the dark cloud along behind him. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's yeah. like that. You're just waiting for the next thing, that you know, the next piano to fall from the sky or whatever. But I, I think it's... Um, it's got about... It's got to be positivity you know you've, you've yeah. got to see other people who've come from the same area as you you know whether that's in addiction socioeconomic stuff areas or whatever doing something different about it finding the courage to talk about it and i've seen people over like since the pandemic started people who are only like say social media friends with all of a sudden i'll have a message pop up from them saying like is it right you work in addictions can you tell us anything about should i be asking for help here you know, and people are stop. You know, they reckon um, they were talking about how few people accessed support for mm. their mental health, but men. 
you know, and then they were saying like that's the one thing that has happened in the pandemic is that the percentage of people asking for help's gone up. Mm. And I think that needs to be seized on as a good thing. And I suppose what you've got to say is, where can people get that support for their mental health while they're waiting to see somebody? Because, you know, the waiting times mm. for important therapies and all that are going through the roof. Because if between one and two of every four people are going to have something up with their mental health, you know, and you've got a population of a quarter of a million people, that's a lot of people looking for some help. So I think it's communities, Andy, isn't it? Mm. Got to yeah, be yeah. building community. It's just got to be a place where there's a men's group, a place where there's a women's group, you know, a place where there's a parents group. Because you've got a lot of people now, regardless of addiction or not, who are running their lives from a self-help book or what are YouTube videos. Mm. And what yeah, they really yeah. need is people. Yeah, definitely. Those groups are out there though as well, aren't they? You know, and you can find them by with a bit of research. But I think for me, this is also around awareness. It's around these sort of things that we're doing today where people are just saying, actually, you know, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know how to change. I didn't know I needed to change. I didn't want to change. I was fearful. But, you know, like I might have got pushed into it. I might have did it because I've seen other people doing it. But once I've seen it happen, you know, I knew it was there. And then once you get into sort of involved with that kind of stuff, you learn more and more of what happens. You learn out, you learn where the places are that you can go to seek these meetings, whether it's addiction or not, you know, whether it's mental health, whether it's just like you said, men's groups, women's groups, parents' groups, and you start to find them. And it's definitely about community, you know, I think in my eyes, you know, and it's about, you know, I think before you mentioned something about setting up the groups in Northumberland and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, that was one of the things that made me stay around when I didn't want to go to groups was that I seen somebody that I knew that, you know, and he, he was like, oh, I'm so glad to see you. You know, that community was there, that fellowship was there. Um, you know, I can't believe you're here. I'm really happy to see you, you know, like stick around and it'll get easier, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I did, you know, and and then that gets passed on, it gets passed on, and it gets passed on, you know, and the information, you know, I'll learn something, I'll put a bit extra onto it, passed on to somebody else, and then they learn a bit extra and put that into it, and then, it, it, you know, it snowballs, and it's a lovely, it's a lovely process when you see it, isn't it, you know? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and you've got, it's absolutely when, you, when you look at that kind of, I mean, I, I was like the, 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 the AA lens, really, because you think, it started yeah. in the 1930s, look where it's at now, yeah. And, yeah. and 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 uh, uh, it's core. They were saying ah, it's about fellowship, and I think that's what it is. It was about just really strong, healthy connections. You'll heal in your time. Just stick yeah. around; it'll happen. Because it's a bit like developmentally, isn't it? It's like, you know, um, I do everything for my kids that I can, and what I'm there, I'm there, I'm present. I'll always be there. They'll figure stuff out, and I'll do everything I can to support, and we'll do it in time. You know, yeah. I have no one's given me a unless I've missed out on a meeting somewhere with a health visitor. No one gave me a book and said you, you kids need to be sorted by this date, otherwise you've you've, you've naffed it, mate. Um, so it's like it's really just like consistency. Be there. It's the old yeah. keep coming back stuff, isn't it? It's like just, just do it. You, it. It'll fall in for you. You know. Um, do it for see how the influence it. works. Sorry, yeah. Andy. It, it's it's. It's funny how the influence works as well, because I remember taking somebody for a review at Oak Trades in Blythe, and the thing that tipped them in the favour of wanting to go was they seen a lad who they were used to seeing falling out of the pubs of Blythe, eating a jack of potato, 
and he was eating this big jacket potato and getting really stuck into it. And this lad who was getting the review hadn't eaten in a fortnight. He was just running on vodka. And he's went, if he can sit there doing that, I'm really sort of envious of that. I yeah. really, that's what I want to do. That's how my recovery wants to go. And on a personal note, when you're talking about your kids and stuff, my lad stood up in front of me and his mum uh, one day, a couple of, one evening a couple of weeks ago and said he was struggling to sleep because he was upset because he thought a teacher was still angry with him for something that happened years ago, well, months ago. And I thought, oh, I know a song or two about that. And I just listened to him. And he had his back to me and he was talking to his mum and he was so eloquent. And when he said, I want to talk to her about it, but I'm scared of what she'll say, but I think I'll do this and I think I'll do that. It was unreal. And uh, my wife said, well, I'll drop a little email to tell her that you're thinking about it. And he went and did it the next day. Went and told an adult, yeah. you know, that he was frightened of them because this is how it made him feel and all that sort of stuff. He's coming home a couple of days later with Star of the Week awards and accreditations and all that because he's blown yeah. them away. And we haven't coached him. You know, it's it just so happens we're both in recovery, but we haven't coached him to deal with these issues that way. But something's working. Mm. I yeah. do believe, you know, that's, I mentioned this before, that society is starting to change, isn't it? You know, and when you look at, you know, I have kids of all, like, quite a few different ages, you know, so I have, like, 20-year-olds, you know, I have, like, 10-year-olds, six and all the way down, and you can see it changing exactly what you're talking about there, Mark, it's proper, it's really beautiful to see, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it's, and you say that you haven't coached them or anything, but you have influenced them. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know so by you being in recovery by us being in recovery you know they say that we're trying to live better you know also schools are really sort of up on it at the moment of you know sort of equality and diversity which there should be you know and like you look if you look at the past you know like my parents you know they were in the 70s well they were in the 50s when i was like 15 16 you know and they were like much older than my friends parents you know and they used to be quite you know and all their friends used to be quite risky with things to say you know whereas now we would say hold on you can't say that you know but it was acceptable then maybe not acceptable but it was sort of you know normalized of, yeah normalized I, that's the perfect yeah, word yeah. normalized you know whereas like now we sort of look at things and we say actually you can't do that you can't do this you know you know how does somebody going to feel if you say that or act like this or whatever you know and that's sort of for me is really good mm. um but then i see like my 20 year old and he sort of you know he does sort of um you know the 20 year olds are very different these days to when i was 20 you know and then i look at my 10 year old and some of the stuff like i hear him walking around in the bedroom or like on the phone on facetime with his friends and i hear them talking about things and i'm like oh my lord how do they even know about this kind of stuff it's took me until i'm like almost 40 to understand you know like, where i want to live my life and uh, there's this 10 year old child walking around and you know he's so aware you know even my six-year-old you know they're so aware that really understand it and i think that changes slowly filtering through um but also by saying people do like do the right thing try to act right you know and, and 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 as expected I've, I've just checked the time there and i'm looking at the clock and i think we've, we've, we've done it again we've we've absolutely nailed the time i'm not sure we covered half of what we planned at the beginning um yeah. but i i also think that's a really good note note to kind of um, stop bringing this to a conclusion too, because I, I wouldn't want anyone listening to think this is a 
a call to action kind of podcast because everything's going desperately wrong because things are changing no, definitely. and we are seeing difference. And I think that's really good. And there are trends that are showing that there is a difference and there is a focus on, on mental health, on emotional intelligence and on, on, yeah. you know, on all the things that we've talked about today. I, I think absolutely there's probably more of a nudge in the, when we think of addiction and dependency direction to, to just get past that substance focus at times and think more people based and what's happening for the individual or what's happened for an individual for that for that relationship the substances to form and the family members that are impacted by this and the the health and well-being of all as well so um yeah i just think that's a that's a really like a really nice way to kind of bring the podcast to an end but before we before we finish um and a lot of this is about kind of health and well-being um i mean p- part of me is like just uh, thanks a lot for for taking time today and as you know as expected is like you both do absolutely kind of like sh- like shoot from the hip and speak from the heart you know it's really nice to have you both on the podcast is there anything is there anything you want to share before we kind of finish this episode and um, i start planning the third one in or i just want to i'll just like to give an example of dealing with that sort of that gap of shame and addiction and the stress i was talking about earlier i did a workshop on shame yesterday like i, I mentioned before and there's a guy who's nearly about to complete uh, his time in oak trees and he's had a heck of a time with his mental health during that time. He does brilliant through the week and, and struggles in the weekend and gets tied up in his own thinking. And he wrote down an example of each of the three types of shame, the self-pity one, the ego one, the perfectionism one. And I asked him how he felt when he wrote and he went, he just looked at us and smiled and went, I'm not bothered, I just say acceptance now. He just went, yeah, that's me. That's what I've been like, but I don't feel like that today, and I accept me now. And that's I just think that's that's the beautiful growth that you see. He's really walking around wonderful. with a smile on his face, telling people in the first week that it'll be all right, man. Just keep doing what you know. But the fact that he's they got peace with himself when I remember what happened at brain like that's like. Mm-hmm. I've just watched him transform that bit. And I just yeah. think it's powerful, very, very powerful. Absolutely, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron, have you got any any final words of wisdom you want to leave us with? Oh, I just keep coming back. I would say, you know, that's what I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep living, trying to live to the best of my ability. You know, that meets my values and my morals and you know my standards. You know. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, I suppose the only thing I would add is is for anyone listening to this, because I, I suppose I, I you know, I, I, I've obviously met you both in person, but we're sitting on a screen today and we're, we're yeah. talking to each other. But what what I see in both of you is, is you know, for, for whatever the life experience has been, you know, in front of me today, it's like, like two people that are really compassionate about what you do, really mindful as well, with that level of sensitivity, you know, into uh, not one size fits all you know you really do meet people for who they are you know in all of that but in doing that as well i I totally like like hear that sense of who you are too and i think that when i think of like recovery and when i think of what's possible i just you know i look at you both sitting on the screen and i think well that's it and this is probably the mutual aid thing isn't it it's like i'm looking at you both and thinking this is it this is this is what can be done you know you can resensitize you can reconnect to the community you're your, your your social network, your tribe, however you want to describe it. You can be part of that community again. You can fulfill your 
your, your kind of potential you know you can get out there and do stuff so just thanks so much um I must say as well, Andy, I would add to that, though, that another ingredient in the way I am about me now has been the people we work with. Yeah. You know, watching the growth, the wisdom, you know, the compassion for each other and all that sort of stuff. They inspire me mm. all yeah. the time, you know, and that's I think a, that's made a big, as big an impact on my recovery nowadays yeah. than Mutual Aid did when it saved me life. Mm. It's a and beautiful the process, isn't it? To work with. Give us a lot, man. Mm. You know, it's a really beautiful process when you see somebody come in, you know, and they're really struggling and they don't know where to turn. And, you know, and you get to see them go all the way through that process to graduate and to becoming the person that they've always wanted to be or feared being, you know. It's yeah. really, it is. You're right, Mark. You're right. It's a really yeah. beautiful process. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, all that's left for me to do is, is is to thank you you both from the bottom of my heart for, for not only for this podcast but for both. Um, and and I suppose what I probably do need to mention because we've talked about it a lot on this podcast is usually at the end of the podcast I'd say you know if you need to know any more about changing lives, www.changing-lives.org.uk. But you may have heard Aaron and Mark today talk about particularly some of the services that are out there offering support um, in the northeast where they're based. You can find information on all of those services on our website as well. So if you're listening to this and you think, hang on a minute, I live there and I, I know someone or I need support or I want to know more, please do jump on the website. All the information's on there. You can find it through the services tab. Um, and if you've got any questions, you can get in touch with us via that as well. So, yeah, thanks a lot to Mark. Thanks a lot to Aaron. Um, I'm absolutely certain there will be a third podcast listening to the way that we talk. Um, and I hope you've enjoyed listening um, and thanks for, thanks for downloading the podcast Recovery Talks is a podcast from Changing Lives hosted by Ian Donnelly Summer Stringer and Andy Ryan and produced and occasionally presented by me, Bridget Hamilton This is season 3 and you can find more than 20 previous episodes over on Anchor FM, Spotify or iTunes to find out more about any of the topics discussed or about the services Changing Lives offers, visit changing-lives.org.uk.